Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tem, Owen, and Pear to discuss the topic of scaling the best UX UI teams. Before we delve deeper into the topic, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. Owen, do you want to kick us off? Yeah, my name is uh, Owen. Um, I am a yeah, UX designer, um, UX lead, an agency called Daresay. Um, and uh, today is I, w- I work as a consultant at Scania. Um, awesome. Tem, can you tell us a bit about yourself? My name is Tem. I'm also a UX designer. Um, I manage a team of other UX designers uh, at a company that creates systems for uh, the retail industry. Nice. And Per, can you tell us a bit about yourself? Yeah, of course. Hi, I'm Per. I'm also a designer uh, working in the digital business for like 20 years or something like that. I'm based in Stockholm and I lead a team at Readly, um, which is a subscription service for magazines and newspaper. Uh, I shape and create, make the team build, uh, so to speak, and grow there. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. So now that we've established a bit more about you guys, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you've all got a question or a statement on scaling the best design teams. And as usual, I'll work around the room and ask each of you to pose your question and the reasons behind it. And then we will discuss that topic. So, Owen, let's start with you. So you had a question for the other guys. Yeah, and it's uh, how does a team begin to scale up from a single design? Um, And I pose this question because I feel that, I mean, there's a lot of um, startups in Stockholm and uh, a lot of uh, teams who are setting up their design departments. They quite often get a design resource, one, maybe two designers. And, um, you know, those designers are probably doing everything uh, from UI design to um, maybe some research, but sort of like a jack of all trades uh, type uh, designers. Um, But I think it's an interesting thing that often is a discussion point is how do you start from there and scale up? That could be a junior designer that they've already got and you need to put in more senior designers in place or it could be they've got a senior designer and what what is the road basically from that um starting point um i'd love to hear other people's opinions i think one of the the main mistakes that a lot of startups do is that they try to save money and they get a a designer that's more on the junior side when in reality when you're in a phase that's that early in a company's development you should preferably have somebody that has more routine and has worked for longer like a more senior designer even though they are more expensive you will get more bang for your buck so i think that's the first mistake that a lot of startups do um but then i also think that one of the main thing maturity wise is that the one or two people that are supposed to hand over like there's just so many things that are in your head when it's just you right then it's easy especially at a startup. Um, So I think it becomes a question of like establishing documentation of some sorts and establishing like the the questions of, even if it's just one more person, right? If you're going from one to two, you're basically, you're scaling up 100% of of your team. But especially if you are just one person, you have everything in your head, right? So you need to formulate all those things that are just natural to you. And that's super difficult, right? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, do you, I, any of you guys kind of have an experience of this from back and earlier in your careers? I mean, exactly as you said, Tem, I, as a recruiter, I see a lot of um, junior designers whose first position was at a startup. And as you say, it, it 
becomes that situation because they have a low budget. So they take on someone junior um, and that junior often feels quite overwhelmed whilst it is a huge, you know, learning experience for them and, you know, room for growth at the same time. Did any of you guys kind of experience anything similar to that, like earlier in your own careers? Uh, I haven't exactly that situation. I usually have come into situations where you are a couple of designers, but I also talk to a lot of designers in that situation. And uh, my experience is that it depends a little bit um, the maturity of the designer who is already there. I think it, 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 it will guide you. And I usually give the tip on, okay, imagine what kind of work do you see that you want to get rid of yourself, so to speak, that can guide you. Is it more like, hand, and what do you see in front of yourself the next upcoming six months, for example? Uh, if you have a kind of high level picture of that, that can guide you perhaps if it's more like hands-on cra crafting a lot, you know, pushing things and free time for you, you know, then you might take a junior designer actually. But if it's more like, you feel you need more support and someone to bounce that with. maybe it's better to take a senior designer to have you know more power together uh, in some sense I, um, I came into a startup that um, they had had a succession of junior designers never two at the same time um, they sort of had had one who had started the work and someone else who'd taken over and um, as a result the uh, design system design work was uh, messy extremely messy you know here and there had jumped from sort of prototyping tools to you know one to the next and and then sort of evolved into figma um and then um i was sort of to come in and and create this team you know in in that situation and it was uh, first things first, I had to sort of do so much groundwork because everything that was there before me was a bit of a, a muddle and some muddy waters. They've been sort of creating some kind of handover system that um, didn't feel, yeah, didn't feel good. And, and um, you know, I came in and then had, okay, you're going to scale this to three designers within X amount of time. And um, yeah, it was a lot. Um, to take on basically because everything that had happened before that they were at a position where they sort of you know have a high uh, traje trajectory with their product or want to sort of like move quickly with the product um but actually the design had not really come with it so we were at a stage where we're sort of like going to the ground and starting to design again because it hasn't really happened previously so it was a, a it's a really tricky situation, I think. Mm. How did you start that scale up? How, um, like you say, you were kind of going from just one up to three. Who did you kind of pick, as you say, um, to take on in that situation? Um, we needed to get, because we needed to get sort of pro uh, design being handed over quickly to, so we needed to get product designers in there. So we had a mm. sort of two uh, product designers, one more very UI specialist, um, mm. So creating some kind of design ops um, from from the start, which I think is ideally I would you would have a balance, I think, within the team of maybe having some uh, more research base and be able to sort of say here is a junior and a senior or, or something, some kind of balance within the team. But I think it was, um, you know, it had to be had to be done because we had to sort of had to grow the the design work uh, mm. quite quickly so it was sort of getting hands hands in the right places um yeah yeah, yeah definitely i mean, tem you were um 
kind of nodding along before when I said, have, have any of you sort of started your careers with a situation like that? Have you kind of got an experience of being that that junior designer? Yeah, one of my early UX jobs was actually at a startup as a sort of, I worked with UX for about a year or two or something like that. And mm. it's, I mean, it's fun, but it, then again, at the same time, you're thrown into all these sort of like, you as a junior designer has to make all these strategic decisions, right? And then mm. you also need to be really quick on your feet because as a, as a startup, you're usually pretty reactive, like you're not so mm. much proactive maybe, unless you have a really clear vision, blah, blah, blah. And you've done like all the sort of unicorn work, I guess, but even unicorns are generally mostly reactive in the start in the startup phase and that was so you can your whole business can pivot in basically almost a weekend right mm. um, and then all of a sudden now you're doing something else uh, so and then as a designer you're either going to be one in like a row of designers that were just being switched out right because they were all they were going from junior from to junior to junior um, and it's just a bunch of handoffs and nobody's actually thinking long term or strategically mm. So that creates a problem, um, but then nobody has sort of a, a vision and it also becomes a problem because then, well, the, the sort of, uh, uh, either the people who are, uh, sort of, uh, on the more business side, maybe the CEO or the owners, uh, the co-owners or whoever, like all they're seeing is they're just seeing, a you know, new designers and then a new designer comes in and all of a sudden they want to change everything. Right. And they're like, why does nobody like do actual work? That's all you got. All, everything you do is like a new person comes in and they want to change everything. A new person mm. comes in and they want to, yeah. so I think the most important thing when scaling up is to ask yourself, like, do we need somebody to complement the current design skills or do we need more of the same? Right. Do the, the, the designer need offloading or is the designer missing some core competence? Maybe it's, if it's a junior designer, maybe you need somebody that's not necessarily senior, but has a more of a strategic thinker and more of a visionary and that type of stuff. So you, e mm. you either need to have the next person um, uh, either complement the current one or uh, be another, <laughs> another of the same, right? Uh, either because maybe you're still doing the same things, but it's just more design work, right? Um, so maybe you have both a web and a mobile. Thing, but you're still selling the same thing or still has the same offering so maybe you just uh, need another product designer yeah no, but it's super interesting i think that ties into uh, not only scaling from one to the next one it's also like always reflecting on these uh, things like complementing yeah. or same same of the same kind <laughs> Mm. very 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 insightful yeah I think, that, I think it's a really good point because because the need for another person in a team regardless of the size of the design team is usually there's more work to do right so your first gut reaction is like oh we need somebody that can take care so you you have like all these things in your in your arms right and you need somebody to offload them onto because you just have so much you just need to clear your desk first right mm. so the first reaction is just like i need somebody to take care of what i have in front of me right now or I need somebody to take care of all that stuff that I find super boring mm. because that part of the work is killing me, right? I want to mm. be the, maybe I want to be the creative person and be more of a visionary type. I don't want to sit around and uh, fiddle around pushing pixels, right? Mm. Um, but I also like the idea that you mentioned, uh, maybe, uh, I mean, fighting a little bit for senior people early, I think that will benefit uh, uh, mm. The value of design. If you have, if you are unsure, I would a little bit try to aim for senior, given that it's uh, smart uh, from other reasons. But I mean, it's yeah. uh, you get so much other values because uh, it's out it's of a so person. 
It's so weird because when you're starting a business, right, you go to other senior business people that can help you with like uh, uh, with the financial part and how to find investors. And so then you reach out to all these sort of mentoring people. Right? But when it comes to design, you just hire the cheapest person that you, <laughs> within arm's reach. Right. Mm. Um, so which is super ironic. So it's not about taking somebody more senior in permanently. I would maybe recommend taking somebody in like as a just to get things going, right? So maybe like a short-term contract or whatever. But I think, um, so then that person can lay the foundation for scaling up. So maybe that mm. person moves, but then they've already established a so, sort of form of like maybe short-term roadmap and some visionary stuff. So then maybe you can hire two product designers, right? For mm. for whatever. No, but super interesting. I, I don't know if you remember, Tom, we talked about, you know, the different levels of maturity in the tiny organization yeah, when yeah. we work together. We analyze, you know, where are you? Are you in level one where you're like more just producing stuff, right? Where you, I guess you usually are in, in, in um, uh, early stages of a company. But if you want to get maturity in the organization, you need more senior people who also see the big picture, right? And can, can help the company get in that yeah. direction, have those tough conversations at times, right? But they talk about that in, in terms of startups when they're sort of going into the growth phases, they put more specialists in place um, in, in those sort of uh, startups to actually then go grow with that uh, new people in. in sort of filling the the holes that maybe have been created um as the as the company grows which i think is um yeah quite interesting but in the beginning it's it seems that they get people who are a bit more broader or as you say the cheapest resource that they can find because they need a design resource or you know someone who can do a bit of this and a bit of that in the because it's also a thing of that something I, that I try to bring up every time I teach UX is that you know 99.9% of the of the rest of the world aren't is not a designer right and we as designers tend to forget that and we feel mm. all butthurt when people don't understand us and you know and they don't automatically just buy our designs just because we put so much thought behind it right so it just becomes super difficult to uh, because and also the, what Par was uh, uh, starting to go into a little bit is that at, at a bigger organization, like when you talk about design maturity, not only within a startup, but if you talk about like even within like the design maturity of the company, it's not necessarily you can't really measure on a company level. It, it's always need it always needs to be measured on the individual team because mm. you can have a company like uh, that is usually pretty considered to be very like design mature, um, but they are it, it all depends on the actual sort of agile team that they've been put into uh, if that agile team has really low maturity then you you go from if you go from the mckinsey scale you go from a level you might be able might just go from a level 5 to just a level 2 right where you're sort of starting over again with all these sort of basic mm. ux things or basic design things and it's, it's especially dangerous if that team that has a low maturity if they are like really deep or have a really critical role within that company or the product um, mm. so it's 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 easy to talk about design maturity and then go really broad right i think that's a that's a really big danger so you need to identify how design mature are we actually um, mm. as a uxer or as a designer you need to identify the sort of maturity on the people around you it's the classic like the the domains of uh, of influence the domain of like direct um i forget what the whole thing is called but it's like what can you uh what can you affect yourself uh 
and uh, what do you have? Where is it? Zone of control, zone of influence, and uh, then there's the third zone that I forget. No, but I agree, Tim. But it's also interesting. Isn't that also interesting for like startup? Also, how mature, how interested are uh, people who started the company in design? What what's yeah. their you know? How mature mm. are they? Because that can be very, very different, right? Mm. Uh, I know design leaders who start things. Of course, there's there's a different level of talking about design versus if it's more like business or or tech driven. Uh, yeah, the yeah, and that's yeah. where the value on on what they place design, where you know where they put it on the shelf is is it on the bottom of the shelf or on the top of the shelf? <laughs> I think, I think also, we all know where it usually is. <laughs> yeah, but speaking of value is like when you, especially at a startup, when you're going from one to two, that means there's some usually some form of like reluctant trust or some form of like skeptic skeptical trust, right? Uh, because usually finances are tough in the beginning, and especially if you're growing, maybe you don't have that much of a buffer. So it sort of becomes um, a, a bigger exercise of showing the value of design when you are that small. Like if it's just one person, then everything is, is word of mouth and you're hanging out and every, all the information is transferred uh, informally. And that's great and that's super efficient. So that's why we're seeing like this agile way of putting together teams where you have the sort of, in, they meet often and the sort of rituals uh, of transferring information, right? But then when you have another person, all of a sudden you need to sort of show the value of design a bit more methodically and systematically, right? You need to start maybe putting together some spreadsheets and like, doing that approach and that's not always super fun but it's important and especially as a mid-level you don't necessarily have to deal with that because then often you have a manager that deals with that and has to prove for like the bigger company and the c-suite the value of design but so but there's like in the beginning going from two to more and then in the middle you don't really have to do that anymore but then you start need to have to do that again. Yeah, I think right. that comes quite nicely into, um, sorry, into Pear's question. Um, do you want to kind of expand on that a little bit, Pear, and kind of present uh, what you were thinking about? Yeah, of course. I think it's uh, it's a scaling of teams, of course, but it's uh, when you do it rapidly, you know, the challenges that can mean what 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 are the systems out there that can support to, to make that uh, smooth or really, really good, right? Uh, because it's about new team members working together and uh, also as you were into tell me where are they <laughs> like in, in product teams you know they should worry this so, so it's money levels of challenges i think so i'm just curious to hear your like uh, reflections experiences or tips on that uh, i would be curious to hear i think one thing i realized is that um well like you know a, a good manager does the groundwork by doing like um, like vision stuff, like where do we want to be for going forward, like design vision, like all that stuff together with the team, right? So you have one or two or more sessions where you put together some form of North Star and a sort of loose roadmap or whatever. But one thing I noticed is that have having had an influx in my team, we sort of went just kept going with the old stuff uh, and sort of underestimated the part where uh, where we basically we should have maybe done that work had those sessions over again right but both to make the new people feel included right but then there's a lot of influx of ideas and attitudes and sort of uh, uh, just uh, uh, well brains and uh, minds and hearts right um, that also wants to be part and should be part of 
the roadmap. I mean, it's probably not, not going to change your North Star, but it, it becomes an important discussion of sort of like maybe adjusting your values a little bit, the internal values within the team, not so much where we're headed, but like how do we want to behave against each other? What's important now that we have these new people coming in, right? Because mm. you could go from a really homogenous team and then maybe you have like some diversity coming in or you are already some uh, diverse team, but something has happened and you need to sort of take care of that because otherwise, uh, you know, don't underestimate culture. Mm. <clears throat> I think um, yeah, having a good onboarding system here is yeah. uh, important. I mean, if you're bringing in people, bringing them in rapidly, you want to get them in line with your yeah i mean I, I know in the question you sort of said about branding um, but in line with the values of your company the values of your team if you're a close-knit team like you say and you're just putting in and you're sort of unbalancing the team because you're growing it you need to you need to have structure you need to have some kind of harmony and know sort of like how to how to deliver that i think good onboarding can help you and i think that sort of knowing when to you know is it daily stand-ups? Is it a you know clear road mapping tool or system that you're sort of working with? Get everybody on board with the same. Uh, what what is it we're doing and and where is it we're going and what is the purpose of the work or project or the work we're doing right now? Um, we I dare say have this um, teamwork kit, teamwork foundation, um, where we sort of come in and um, <clears throat> sort of to join organizations to bring teams into organizations so we have a, a way of sort of sitting down with everybody and talk talking about our roles our purpose why are we there what is the mission um what are we trying to achieve in this this bulk of work or this small part of work or this long sort of process that we're going to go journey we're going to go on together um and how can we sort of help each other how can we contribute and part of that is also establishing where yeah where we are how's the hierarchy what stakeholders do we have um who's in the team here you know or his his pair he's in the team you know and and what's his role um and sort of say what does he need as well what what do i need from my from my work so i i say oh i need a sync meeting once a week so i understand what everybody's doing or everybody's va you know value is or what what we're all working on so I think there are ways to sort of like, is this collaboration, this kind of um, understanding where um, what we're doing and, and how we can work together and how we can align uh, with each other. Mm. I mean, I think this um, this topic actually kind of ties in really well with yours, Tem, which is a little bit more kind of about the prep beforehand. But do you want to kind of just expand on that while it's so relevant? Yeah, I mean, usually when I, um, when I try to identify... I, I try to divide it into uh, tools, process, and culture. Uh, so I, I think that's doing that specific division uh, mm. when doing inventory uh, has helped me a lot, sort of dividing, okay, what tools do we have in place? What tools do we need, right? What are we using and what do we want to be using? Uh, what, uh, but then going through processes, like what kind of rituals do we have? What kind of, uh, uh, how do we, like, do we have... Uh, stand-ups etc how do we check in etc cetera, et cetera. but then also going through the culture like what kind of culture do we have are we research heavy do we embrace research or do or don't we uh, so i think a tip is to sort of when doing inventory try to divide it into that and then see uh, so i think that's my that's my first tip uh, 
but then it's it's I think it's interesting and just to throw the question out to the room like how do how do you prepare for scaling how do you prepare not only when it comes to like onboarding and letting HR know that a person is coming in on Tuesday right but um the, but like generally how do you prepare the team for new people coming in um, and how do you prepare yourself uh, I have some ideas there uh, or that I try to do or I have try to improve is that uh, what's the expectation expectation you know what do we see this person doing half a year from now and try to you know uh, to have that in, in in my mind because that can help me guide and coach that person because my job usually when I onboard is to coach and make the people successful as soon as possible so to speak and <laughs> integrated with the team in a nice way and as, as you're saying very good things that term uh, on the tools process and culture I, I really like that um I think that very backward thinking a little bit, you know, half a year from now, <laughs> what are the things this person needs to be able to do uh, him or herself? I think that I, I think try to think of for every new person in, in, in the team, right? But the challenge is when, because I've recruited several people starting at the same time, then you might not have the time to be that close to everyone. So that's a very interesting, if you can like systemize or, or you know, structure up that work. Uh, I think it's also interesting to ask people, I mean, to, to relate to what you said there, it's ask the people who are coming into your team to what, where do you want to be in the next few months? Where do, how, where do you want to get to? Um, I know my partner's just come into a new company and, and they said sort of like, where do you want to be in three years, five years, etc. And then said, how are you going to get there within the next year? Um, and obviously that can, can be quite ambitious from some people. And hopefully is, um, but maybe some people just want to establish themselves within the team or grow within the organization. And then obviously you as a, a mentor or coach, you know, sort of hopefully you can set up a pathway that integrates them into your team, integrates them into the organization and also helps them to get to wherever their goal is short term or long term. No, but that's good. But now when I'm thinking that, I mean, one tool I use for every new is uh, we do a, a design skill assessment. It's the first mm. week for everyone. And then it's a baseline for setting goals that supports where you're going, but also combining your own ambition, but also with where you are at. So, so combining and maybe really goal. And, and it's so fun because almost everyone tries to put I'm highest on everyone. But it's like, no, no, you can't. We have to take one step back on almost everything because I hired you because you're good. I trust in you. So it's not about mm. uh, you have to cheat. It, it's, it's very, this very hard exercise to be very honest because it goes against uh, maybe your nature. But we've been having really good uh, dialogues there to, to, to find that communication uh, and, and explain, I guess, the, the purpose with it. Because uh, as you say, Tam, it's, it's so much about like the culture you want to make people feel confident, right? And and, and uh, addressing that in uh, for, for everyone coming coming in. I, guess. I I like the idea of sort of putting together a, a a vision of where I want to be. I want them to be in like what I want, what I want them to have achieved for like in six months. It's really interesting. And then I, I also we also did uh, like a self assessment, right, where we had different a, a different set of skills. Um, and measured them so we got sort of like a see where people overlapped and it, it had a different relevant sort of in this case it had different relevant UX skills so I would really recommend to sort of going back when you have one not, maybe not one person but if you have one or like two or three maybe do that exercise again because it only takes like an hour or two right and then you've all of a, all of a sudden you're come like you're filling that information in again or maybe have that person go through the sort of culture workshop that you had before 
with that person, right? Uh, just for those sort of self-assessment and skill skill set wise to see where people overlap and see where your team is strong and see where your team is yeah. weak, because that will also identify weaknesses and try to mitigate that sort of risk. We we have we we do that at uh, dare say as well. We look at the skills, like you said, and sort of trying to map um, where your skills are. And I agree, Pear, that it's very difficult from some perspectives that some people say, yeah, I'm very high on this. And um, and it's very hard to sort of like assess yourself on a certain level. But what we try to also say is that um, it's, you know, it's down to you to understand where your competence is and where your competence is sort of lacking or where you want to grow your competence. Um, and there's, I mean, there's two areas for that. Like you said, Tem, it's like, I mean, there you can also see in your team, okay, I have some people that are like this and I have some people that have more skills in this area then how do they complement each other or where do I have a gap maybe I need to employ somebody who's a specialist in this particular field because I I see that we have a gap in that area and um, and no one is filling it but I mean also it could be that you know you see the potential to grow an employee um, in your team into that so with competence development you can do training mm. um, send them on courses and you can actually sort of maybe grow um the team in that way so i think that there's there are real benefits to looking at the skills and going down to sort of like assessing oneself and understanding where where you lie in terms of uh, yeah that sort of picture i mean though uh, i find them like the self-assessments interesting most more so i mean as designers i assume we're not really unfamiliar with dealing with like qualitative data <laughs> Um, so that's just what a self-assessment is, right? And so I, I think the main interpretation that is it's sort of interesting to see, it sort of tells a little bit on their ambitions and like their self-esteem and sort of where they see themselves, right? And also it can sort of give you an indication on how badly they are lying to you because you've seen their skills and maybe they're putting themselves either really high on, on a certain area and you're like, mm or you, they put themselves really low and you're like but you're one of the best ui designers how, how did you set yourself like a six you know you're clearly a nine mm. on ui or whatever right but it also give maybe gives them an indication on what they find easy and what they find difficult right yeah. and then you go into as a manager or a mentor you sort of go into there's the classic like you want people who are really broad right so you try to improve people's weaknesses but then there's the other part where there's the philosophy of like specialized people and go let people go deeper into what they're good at, make them excel at that. But, uh, I, I think we we have some, I mean, again, sort of looking at, at people and then when we look at sort of skill sets and you can say, OK, this person very specialist in UI, for example, and then you look at the projects that we maybe get. And then if there is a project that is UI heavily heavy then it's very easy to say okay we've got this person let's send that person for that project and we can team that person up with we know that there's a research element so we can team that up with a service designer um, and we can have a comp complementary sort of pairing maybe that we can we can base that off of the skills that we know that they have and, and maybe we don't need the assessment but sometimes the assessment helps to just say, okay, where where do they think they are? Where do they think that their skills are? Where do they think they can grow? But I think you know that knowing where someone's skills really are, um, and knowing how to to pair them up with someone, and may, maybe knowing the right project or the right um, work for them that would comp be complementary for them. Um, and I think that people differ. UX is so so 
big. I mean, design is, is big, and, and we work with both UX and service design and uh, interaction designers and, and, and like a whole scale of different sort of people and different skill sets. Um, and sometimes they overlap and sometimes they don't. Um, and sometimes there are projects that are very, very much more for one person and one skill set than, than it is for another. No, but it's interesting. Uh, sorry, I want to, I think it's very interesting topic you mentioned, Tim. I, I truly believe that that's a, a very common uh, misconception that you need to, because the product design role or UX role is so many skills you need to have that you can get, get this imposter syndrome, right? Of just looking at of everything you need to know to be successful designer. Uh, you can't. That's what I tell them. You can't, like you have some skills that, you know, try to develop where your passion is, but also where it fits into this team because uh, no one's expecting you to grow in all these 10 areas, uh, which is, I think that's so crucial to, to just have those dialogues to to uh, and also embracing that for people to, to know that it's like not expected expected that you should be able to even though maybe half of these skills unless you want to go that way and have more a generalist uh, career that's fine but i mean if you if you want to get strong and deliver in some areas it's it's very different being like a uh, ux architect versus like a motion designer <laughs> right it's it's very different persons usually usually it's not in one person that has both those not as an expert skill at least mm. i mean i think other other industries have sort of that's been the sort of standard for a long time like look at the agents like advertising agencies right you always pair an art director together with a copywriter right mm. you would never dream i mean um, maybe exaggerating a little, but that, that's the sort of general pairing that you do. And I do believe that it's it's the same. It's the same in, and then usually when you talk about uh, tech and that you usually have a design, a visual designer together with a developer, right? So you pair those two up. But I also think within UX, there's a really good pairing that I try to think about is have somebody that's more like pair somebody that is like a bit more logical with together, like a bit pair a left brain with the right brain so to speak if you know mm. well brain half brain sides aren't really a thing uh turns out but you know um most people know what they're about so pair somebody who is really logical together with somebody who might be more visually inclined right because then you can have mm -hmm. sort of like a an informal ux researcher together with a visual designer and that usually goes great together right so i, I usually try to cover sort of as much of the double diamond as possible with if i pair people up together um if you know so uh, that's where it's so either have somebody to be sort of part of a uh, responsible for part of a process like the design process maybe um or have them be part of like an, an area of an expertise like maybe ui is their main thing right mm. um so they can maybe get sit and uh, do all the ui stuff uh, but then you have a like a research partner who's a bit more logically inclined and enjoys spreadsheets a bit more uh and maybe you know hopefully that person is social as well so then they can do the the so it's also that part like you need to yeah. sort of pair a, a social person with a with an introvert mm. <laughs> like yeah yeah that's, that's quite happen. interesting i mean i think thinking about this the soft skills and, yeah. and where where do they fit in and, and those those complementary pairings because quite again quite often i mean designers can you can come across introverts um who aren't so comfortable with uh, talking to other people and and may, but maybe very specialist in in the work that they do and know a lot about something you know UI or whatever it is 
Um, and then maybe it's good to complement them with someone who is much more uh, yeah. engaged and, and can speak to people comfortably and, and is more extrovert in, in, their, in their persona. Because, I mean, if it, they, they can complement each other or, or produce a good pairing, maybe. So I think you I think do you have need to have somebody that's that's uh, that because especially if you want to sort of design do design the right way, right? Then you need you you can't not talk to people, uh, mm. talk to users, talk to other human beings. Like you need to let other humans affect your design, right? Mm. Or have an impact on your designs. Um, it's so interesting you mentioned pairing because that's the way I also scale because I think. You get so much benefit of two designers sitting together um, mm. by so many reasons. Uh, so it's it's very interesting to hear because I also believe that it creates really strong value for all designers as well. Yeah, mm. feeling that they have some to bounce ideas and also mm. learn from each other. Uh, I I also think I I think the sort of calculating wise, like the return on investment on another person, like it's not. 100%. I would I would argue that being two is actually three times faster than just being one. Because if you're one person, mm. then you can only do one thing at a time, right? There is no, multitasking doesn't really exist when you're designing. Like because you need to go, you need longer, long periods of uninterrupted work, right? Mm. So you need to go deep into the things that you are designing for. Um, but that you can only work on one thing at a time. So you can't to build both the prototype and prepare the user test or the you know the research or whatever right or prepare the workshop um you can't write the interview script while designing the prototype or while designing the ui so mm. it actually <clears throat> if you have another person i think it's actually three times faster uh, mm. that's my that's my very sort of non-empirical <laughs> uh, <laughs> assumption but it's like because it's just so much faster because yeah you're just bouncing off each other like everything just sort of steamrolls uh, especially but if you find somebody that you click with i think it's really interesting because i mean also in in tech i mean they have uh, like pair um pair uh, partnerships co coding yeah, yeah. together and um and i think that that is quite a common scenario especially startups i think spotify use that um klarna use that um and and i think just like you say, I mean, it, it makes the work so much easier when you get somebody who you can sort of like bounce with. Um, and, you know, if you find a like minded person who's interested in user research as much as me, then it's like, you know, you can just throw throw things back and forth with each other and and, and really sort of get to a, um, a place where you you are being creative. I mean, and, and the creative sort of spirit is coming, coming bubbling out of you. And and I think it's it gets exciting the work then. Um, whereas if you maybe are on your own and and you know expected to just work, go away and work on your own, it can be a, a harder place to be. Um, yeah. Not not just the pr productivity wise, like you said, Tim, but m maybe it's also somewhere where you can get really stuck in your own, you know, your own mind, your own keyboard yeah definitely so, yeah so i think my tip to everyone who is a non-designer and is in a position to sort of having a, a this maybe a designer uh, nagging them about hiring another person is that <laughs> it's not just you know an equal amount of salary that you need to pay out but the return on the return is actually going to be well what is it you know one and a half per designer so yeah. it's not one to one. Yeah, I think um, that's a really, a really, really good point, actually, to kind of conclude that on. I do have my own um, question that I've just kind of thought of as you guys have been talking. 
that I'd be really interested to hear. Um, I mean, as you know, three guys who are really successful and well established in your fields now, you know, you've you've all had your own kind of really great, healthy career paths. Um, I'm curious to kind of hear if any of you have ever had an onboarding experience of your own at any point in your career that like has really stuck with you either where a company did something that was just really interesting and it's really stuck in your head or where they've just done it really well and you just like kind of immediately felt that, you know, you kind of fluidly blended into the team, like just an onboarding experience, you know, that is really kind of stuck in your head as a a great kind of example of something that someone can do when when they have a new person. I think people tend to overestimate onboarding uh, experiences. People expect a lot more than what it's actually sort of a, that you're going to be served more Mm. uh, than you actually are. I mean, there's a bunch of great onboarding experience, but I think the sort of -of run-of-the-mill onboarding experience that you're going to have to sort of find things to do uh, and people to talk to (laughs) yourself. There's a lot of, like, you need to find stuff to do. Like, your your Mm. new manager is not necessarily going to tell you exactly who to talk to. And and, and, uh, so, But I think I've heard a lot of people becoming disappointed. Not being onboarded by me of course because i'm perfect but um <laughs> other matter <laughs> no but it's easy to, it's 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 easy to forget i've had i self myself i have had a bunch of onboarding experiences where like you get your computer and be like have fun i i agree a bit with you that i think it's um onboarding i mean it tends to be a lot easier when you've done it quite a few times yeah yeah um and mm-hmm. and you and you sort of I mean, I get my computer and I sort of say, okay, I kind of know what I'm going to do now. I'm going to go away and and do a couple of things, and and then I'm hopefully going to get on get on with some work by the end of this week. Um, and I'm going to meet some people. And you know, it's not it's not maybe that um, it's it's so easy to I don't know. Sometimes I think, as you say, it's like overestimated how the importance of it. It's a bit, it can be good and it can be bad and it can be. Like how so, active you need to be in your own yeah, onboarding. Like you are exactly. not just meant to be onboarded, but you also mm. need to onboard yourself. Yeah. Um, I think that that is a, a thing as well, is that get to know the company, get yeah. to do your, do a bit of dirty research that, that first week and, and, and find out where things are, find out where the files are, find out where the, how they work. Look through the Figma files. It's, it's a, you know, you just have to do it and, and uh, improvise. I think yeah okay then i have to disagree a little bit it's good right (laughs) (laughs) no i totally really i I can relate and i think it's that's what we used but i think you can get people faster on board if you have kind of a structure and a little bit uh, definitely better and uh, i haven't myself had uh, a perfect onboarding journey sometimes but i remember one place (laughs) then it was a little bit tiny detail it was this um message welcome pair on the just printed out a little note and it felt me connected it was very this little small thing but it it felt more welcoming and so it can mm. sometimes be just small details that make, make people feel really you know warm and, and welcoming so, so that, that mm. can make ah it was a good start <laughs> so, i think i i I, I would argue that it is the small details that actually are sort of make or break for a good onboarding experience. I think just mm. covering the basics, like just have the computer there on day one, regardless if it's in a box or not, like just have it there. Yeah. 
uh, and mm. with a place. But then also just because those small details, they are so easy. Like you don't have to yeah. give a whole bunch of swag and like all those Instagram friendly things. Like mm. it could be just like passion, a post-it, a handwritten post-it like on the things. Yeah. And it goes such a long way. I just remembered a good one. Um, starting at Scania first day, I went home in a truck. Um, huh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a great onboarding. It was nothing to do with my, but it, it, you know, get a, get a lift in a truck. Yeah, that's fun. fun. That's a fun <laughs> one. <laughs> Amazing. Well, I think we'll kind of wrap things up for there, guys. Um, conscious of the time. Um, this has been really awesome. I've really enjoyed kind of listening to all your points. I think uh, we took a couple of interesting tangents that have given me some uh, some food for thought. Um, so I'm going to leave it there. This has been another episode of the Evolution Exchange podcast. And of course, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank Owen, Pear and Tem for joining us today. And thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs>